0: Welcome to Play for Keeps, a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. This play is the property of the playwright who reserves all rights to its use. This recording is the property of Ashland New Plays Festival, Inc., which reserves all rights to its use. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: And Vaster. A play by Sky Robinson-Hillis.
2: Characters. Corinne, female, fifties.
3: Michael, male, fifties.
2: Robin, female, forties.
3: Cabot, male, fifties.
0: Allison, female, seventeen.
1: Setting, New York City, the present. Act One, Scene One. The living room of Michael and Corinne's apartment. Michael is lying on the couch with a book, his happy place. Corinne enters through the front door. Hello. He doesn't put his book down. Hello. She very quickly drops her purse and takes off her coat. Then she makes a beeline for him and sits on the couch. How was your night? Fine. She keeps looking at him. He looks at her over the book, then puts it down reluctantly. How was yours? Fine. She smiles.
4: What's going on?
1: She takes the book out of his hands and tosses it. He tries to sit up, but she pushes him back down, crawling on top of him.
4: Oh, I see.
1: She kisses him and starts unbuttoning his shirt.
4: Hey, what? Where are you coming from?
2: Just saw Branna in Macbeth. God! Come on, help
4: me! Wait a minute. Wait. What? You want to fool around with me, or you want to fool around with Branna?
1: Corinne sits back a little and just looks at
4: him. Really? Corinne? Oh,
1: come on! What do you care? She goes for his belt buckle.
2: He stops her again.
4: No, no. That's not how this works. You don't get to tear my clothes off and imagine I'm Kenneth Bloody Branna.
2: That's not what I'm... Ah, he's just the reason I'm amped up is all. I want to be with you. She starts to take off her own
1: clothes and takes her time for his benefit. You can understand that, can't you? He watches her unhappily, growing powerless.
4: Not fair.
1: Half undressed, she kisses him and he lets her. This may go on for a bit. Then he stops
4: again. What did he do? What? It's got you amped up. What did he do?
2: Jesus Christ Almighty, will you just fuck me and be done with it, please? I
4: won't be objectified.
2: Is that what you think is happening here?
4: I'm being used.
1: Uh-huh.
2: She begins to put herself back together, covering up. I'll remember this. See. Oh, yes, I'll remember this the next time you see a film with Isabelle Huppert and come crawling to me. She gets up, and he gets up, too. Well, night. She exits into the bedroom.
1: He stands there.
4: He was that good on a Tuesday night?
2: Not everyone saves it all for the Saturday night crowd, unlike some people I know.
1: He charges at the door. She opens it and appears before he gets there.
2: If you had just come with me, I don't think we'd have a problem just now. But no, you refused to spend two hours sitting silently in a crowded theater with Nina and Jim.
4: I hate Nina and Jim. I hate Jim. I have no desire to be around him and his ridiculous live-in girlfriend. For God's sake, marry her or move on. You know,
2: you can be so stuffy sometimes, really. Stodgy.
4: You think so? So stiff. All right, with the S words. Keep going. Strict. Stringent. (laughs) Steely. Strong. Sturdy. Don't turn this around. I'm sorry. I thought we were doing ST words.
2: You're such an incredible downer sometimes. I don't know what to do. You think my friends are too flamboyant for you? Really? That's what you said this morning, isn't it? I have no idea what that even means.
4: Yes, you do. No, no, I don't. You know what the word flamboyant means. You make me insane. To be fair, it doesn't take much. What
2: is the matter with you?
4: I'm just not interested. Stubborn son of a bitch. Stubborn, that's a good one. I'm
2: serious, you know.
4: Yes, and I'm stunned. Ah, stunned. This is a fight. Come on, what do you want? What's your end game here? What do I have to do? Do I have to give in? No, no. You do what you want. I'm trying to.
2: This isn't about the show.
4: Oh, good God. What is it about then? Because I'm stumped. Oh, stumped. See? This is
2: about you never going out with me when they're
4: my friends and not yours. Why would I want to go out with people who aren't my friends?
2: Stop that! Stop making it sound like my sole purpose on this earth is to suck the joy
4: out of your life. What do I care what it sounds like? There's no one else here.
2: I would just like you to make an effort. I work
4: hard. All day and all night. Unless these people are going to give me a job, I see no reason to turn it on for them and waste my hard-earned free time.
2: Being with me is wasting your time? No, I'm
4: perfectly happy being with you. It's everyone else. It's for me. I ask you to do this as a kindness. Corinne, you hate going out with me, and everyone else hates when I'm with you, too.
2: Not true, actually. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable when we're apart.
4: Because all married people are attached at the hip.
2: You know exactly what I'm saying.
4: I don't care.
2: Well, I do! And I think maybe you could stand to care for my sake. I won't,
4: because it's stupid. Here we go again. What needs to happen for me to extricate myself from this conversation? I know you can't be hung up on this forever, so I just need to stay strong until you move on. Oh!
1: She exits into the bedroom, slamming the door.
4: I love you. See?
1: You are not getting laid, Michael.
4: Honey. She
1: opens the door and stands in the
4: doorway. Robin's coming over. I invited Cabot over. Cabot? I ran into him at Macbeth. Why didn't he just come back with you?
2: I said I wanted to give you a little lead time.
4: So you could have your way with me first.
2: That was the general idea, yes. And you blew it.
4: Cabot? Really? I was
2: excited. When the show got out, all I wanted to do was keep discussing it. But I also.
4: Had a little itch you needed me to scratch. Better you than
2: Cabot, right?
4: Did you talk to him after? Cabot? Branna.
2: I did. We went backstage. Cabot, Jim, Nina, and myself. He's a fan. Of whom? Of all of us. But of me in particular, I suspect.
4: Oh, you suspect?
2: Yes! I suspect I could have had him right there. If I'd wanted to.
4: But you did want to. Anyway, he's married. And so are you. Right. So here I am. And now I have to endure Cabot. Stop. I have to endure a man who lived with you for three years. A
2: man you stole me away from twice. If there is a victor here, it is you.
4: So what's the problem? I am so far not especially wild about this night.
2: You know jealousy is a sign of weakness in a marriage, right? Jesus
4: Christ, what is with you tonight? Her
1: hand starts to shake and she goes a little pale. His demeanor changes entirely. Hey. Just a twitch. He goes to her and takes her shaking hand, holds it into his chest.
4: You're okay. This was a dumb fight. I liked it. I'm glad you had fun. The slamming of the bedroom door was a nice touch, by the way, if unoriginal. You better now? Yeah.
1: He lets go of her hand.
4: You need a shot before they get here?
2: No,
1: it'll knock me right out. I'm okay.
4: (sighs) It scares the shit out of me.
1: I know. He kisses her. And kisses her, and kisses her.
2: The front door buzzer goes off.
4: Ah, timing.
2: He sighs and goes for the buzzer. Remember, Cabot cannot know. Under no circumstances can he have any inkling. Yeah, I got it. Robin, too. I'd rather not. A knock at the door. Michael
1: opens it. Robin enters.
4: Hey, come in.
1: Hey. Hey, Corinne.
2: Hi, Robin.
4: I'm going to hop in the shower quickly.
2: Michael! He walks past her into the hall and exits. I just got home. He didn't tell me you were coming over until the buzzer rang. Boy,
1: I'm shocked. She throws her bag down somewhere and sits on the couch. You want something to drink?
2: Yeah, whatever you're having. Corinne fixes drinks. Gin and tonic, I think. Fine. What's with the shower business? I sort of blue-balled him. No, no, he did it to himself. Why would he ever do that to himself? <laughs> Your big brother is one great, big, mass of contradictions, Robin. How the hell should I know? Corinne hands Robin a drink. She has one for herself, too, but
1: doesn't drink it. You married him. Thanks. Hey.
2: How often do you think you guys have sex? Uh, regularly? Uh, I wouldn't really know how to accurately quantify it. Say, per week, roughly. Every week is different. An estimate. I honestly don't know, Robin. Why? What's a normal amount, you think? For human people. Probably however much would meet the needs of both partners. Which one of you initiates it more? I don't know. I think you should be paying
5: more attention to these things. Why? So I can report back to you? I absolutely refuse to start seriously dating again without knowing what the proper goals are, the benchmarks, the standards. I am not flying blind anymore. How often do you go down on him? I guess a more apt question is, how many times can you get away with not going down on him
2: before you finally feel obligated to do it? I don't mind it. Fuck you, you're lying. I don't particularly enjoy it. Does anyone? I imagine some people must. He liked going down on you. I think so. He does it of his own accord. What if he didn't? Would that be a deal breaker for you? Probably not. There are other ways. You are unbelievably nonchalant about your sex life. Well, it doesn't cause me any anxiety, so I don't have a lot of deep thoughts about it. It is whatever it is, and I have no complaints. Good for fucking you, then. The front door buzzer rings. Corinne goes for it.
1: We double booked you. Sorry. Robin is suddenly anxious. I I thought it would just be us. (laughs) A knock on the door. Corinne answers it. Cabot enters.
3: Hey, beautiful.
2: Come in. Cabot, you remember Robin? Sure.
3: Hi. Robin, how you doing?
2: Cabot's directing Lion in Winter. I think I told you. I have no idea what that means, but it's nice to see you again, Cabot. (laughs) Robin's in Finance.
3: I remember.
2: She also has the unique distinction of being Michael's sister.
3: I remember that, too. Speaking of... You'll be out in a minute.
2: What can I get you to drink?
3: Just a
1: beer, if you have it. Give me a sec. Corinne exits. Cabot sits somewhere opposite Robin. They regard each other awkwardly.
3: When's the last time I saw you, Robin? Mm, Not sure. Probably an opening? Right. Clean house? Yes, that's probably it. Good show. Yes.
1: Corinne
2: enters, hands Cabot a beer, and sits in a chair. Thanks. So, can we please talk about the dagger scene? What? What? We just saw Kenneth Branagh in Macbeth.
1: Oh, that's the bloody one, right? (laughs) Michael enters, dressed the same, but his hair is a little damp.
4: Hey, kids. Nice of you to join us. How are you, Michael? Oh, never better,
3: Cab, old boy.
1: Michael sits on the arm of Corinne's chair. She holds her drink up to him. I
3: won't finish
2: it. He drinks it.
3: I don't think I've seen you give up on a drink in 20 years.
2: (laughs) Growing up, I guess.
3: So... You as enthusiastic about the Scott as this one is? Oh, he was sensational, I don't mind telling you. Of course, now I can't stop thinking about your wife as Lady M.
2: Oh, God, please, don't start that.
3: We could do it, you and I.
2: Who on earth would have us?
3: As always, Ashland. Oh. Oh.
5: (laughs) Macbeth is the one where you murder everyone at her insistence, right? And then she kills herself.
2: I'd see that. It's a phone call. It's more than a phone call, Cabot. You,
3: me, Michael, it's a phone call. Let's
2: see how I do with Eleanor first.
3: Yeah, I don't think she's eating, Michael. She's a little unsteady on her feet these days. She eats. She's tired.
4: She's doing eight shows a week in three-inch stiletto boots as Titania and then spending all day ripping Jim McCloud to pieces in your rehearsal room.
3: I suggest you wait a few weeks to start... But I'm just the husband. The producer suggested we not wait, and they sign our checks, so it was out of the question.
4: Then I don't want to hear you complain that she's unsteady on her feet.
1: Corinne's hands begin to shake again. She tries to move it to Michael's leg so he notices. He does and holds on to it for her. Let me take a poll of the room while I have a
5: captive audience. What's a normal amount of sexual activity for a couple to engage in per week? Oh, Robin, really? Uh, (laughs) We're all adults, and it's a reasonable question. And if it's something we're going to decide is important in relationships, we should be able to talk about it, right?
3: Wrong. Two to three times, maybe?
1: Corinne and Michael both look at Cabot as if to say, please don't encourage her. I don't know if you know
5: this about me, Cabot, but I'm a divorcee. Not an especially glamorous one, but a predictably bitter one. So let me ask you this. If you're in a relationship and your significant other has little interest in blowing you, how would you feel about that? Fucking
4: Christ,
3: Robin. How many have you had?
4: Just the one. Cabot?
3: I don't know. I've yet to find myself in that situation.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Do you date women? Uh, yeah. Then yes, you've found yourself in that situation. Corinne, how many times did you go down on Cabot while you were living together?
4: All right, no. Nope. We're done here.
5: I don't
1: remember. Not many. And how often did he go down on you?
4: Okay.
2: Michael
1: tries to get up and walk away, but Corinne holds tightly onto his hand and doesn't let him. Not often.
2: That's not true. It is. Foreplay was not your strong suit. Well,
4: it's not fun. (laughs) Ha! Okay. Good. Michael does it. Oh, dear God. Why is this happening? He likes it. Yeah? If you must know. Here's
5: something interesting. I don't even particularly like it when someone goes down on me. You're just being contrary now. I'm serious.
3: It's too much attention. I don't need to hear this.
5: What? I don't like for sex to take too long. I get
3: bored. You know, I think I'm going to go. No,
1: Cabot. She's done now. No, I'm not. Cabot gets up. Corinne does, too, to stop him. She stumbles a bit, and Michael keeps her upright.
3: Unsteady on her feet. He
1: heads towards the door.
3: Sorry to offend. I'll see you in the morning, Corinne. Get some rest tonight, would you?
1: Nice to see you, Cabot.
3: Uh, yeah, you too. Bye, Michael. Cabot exits.
1: Michael and Corinne look at Robin. What the
4: hell is wrong with you? Are you on a new medication?
1: First of all, rude. Second, I'm sorry. I just
5: had to get him out of here. I didn't realize we wouldn't be alone, and you know, there's actually a reason I
1: asked to come over tonight, and it's a little on the important side. Corinne sits back down with Michael. Everything okay? Bear with me here. They wait. Michael holds on to Corinne's hand just in case, but her leg starts shaking. She crosses her legs, and he puts a hand on her knee, trying to conceal the shaking. Okay. So, you know my friend Bibi?
4: Yes, I hate her. Ridiculous name.
5: Right. Well, 18 years ago, you slept with her sister, Suzanne. You remember Suzanne, right?
2: Oh, how many women were you sleeping with in 98? Well, I mean,
4: Jesus, not that many. But 18 is a lot of years, and I don't have a Rolodex in my head aligning women with specific dates and times. I
2: don't think that's how Rolodexes work, anyway. I
4: can't play Suzanne. I'm sorry.
5: Good. Then you're going to love this.
4: Okay, what?
5: Suzanne's got a 17-year-old kid, daughter, who wants to know her father. (laughs) No. Uh Uh-uh. No. You're not
4: saying I'm her father.
5: You've seen the Lifetime movies, Michael. You know how this works. I
4: have not seen the Lifetime movies, and I don't even know what that means. So what the hell are you saying? This kid is my kid? So she says. Who says? The, the kid? Suzanne?
2: Allison and Suzanne don't speak. This comes from Bibi.
4: Who's Allison?
2: Suzanne's daughter! What makes Bebe think Michael is her father? After nearly two decades,
5: Allison told Bibi that Suzanne told her that her father is an actor.
4: <laughs> this is New York City. Everyone is an actor.
5: Yeah, I don't think Suzanne slept with as many people in 1998 as you did, Michael.
4: How do you know I slept with her in 1998? Or if it was 97 or 99. B.B.
2: seems pretty sure. Well,
4: if B.B.'s sure.
2: We'll do a DNA test, okay? Wait a minute. What does this girl want? I have seen the Lifetime movies. Is she dying? Broke? Does she need a kidney? Is she a a wannabe actor looking for a leg up in the business? Is she going to all about Eve Me? Why now? I am not aware that she is, wants,
5: or needs any of those things. I think she's just hoping one of her parents is not crazy.
4: And she's hoping her actor father might be sane?
5: I don't know, okay? I'm sorry. I told Bibi I would talk to you. That's all. I need some water. Corinne gets up and exits.
4: You believe her?
5: She's one of my closest friends. I have no reason not to. Have you met her? Allison? Mm. No. Bibi says she's a good kid. Emancipated. Left her mother's house at 16. Got a job. Moved in with her boyfriend. She's split with the boyfriend now and living with Bebe. Divides her time between school and work. That's what I know. I'll put you in touch with Bibi, okay? You can set up a DNA test. Nobody's expecting you to take their word for it.
4: Okay.
1: Robin gets up. Say goodbye to Corinne for me. Uh,
4: Thanks, Robin.
1: Yeah. She exits, touching his arm on her way out. Michael sits there. Corinne enters with a glass of water and he stands. So...
2: What? You never heard of condoms in 1998?
4: You okay? Are you?
2: Scene two. Corinne is outside the
1: building where her rehearsal hall is located, in the alley, smoking a cigarette. Cabot enters from inside.
3: Well, this is a sight I haven't seen in 20 years. I figure there are worse ways to die. Charming. Are we back? Jim's got his costume fitting, so it'll be a while.
2: So, you don't need me for anything?
3: Am I bothering you? Uh, What's going on with you? Nothing. All of a sudden you don't want to be around me? Is this a Michael thing? No. If he still has a problem with us working in close quarters... He doesn't.
2: He's not the jealous type.
3: (laughs) Really? Then explain the cold shoulder he's been giving me for 15 years. Chabot. What? Come on. Don't make me say it. Say... He thinks you're an asshole.
2: What? He thinks you're an asshole. He always has, and you know what? You kind of are.
3: Fine way to speak to your director. Michael
2: can't stand you because you're a son of a bitch, and don't act all coy about it. It
3: doesn't suit you. Because I'm a son of a bitch. Yes. Not because you and I were together for three years. Believe it or not. Liar.
1: Whatever you say. He casually steals her cigarette, takes a drag. She shakes her head.
2: You were always like this. Like what? Wildly and extravagantly hypocritical.
3: Are you uncomfortable with us working together?
2: I do have a pretty hard time resisting your unrelenting charm and animal magnetism. But I'm doing okay, thanks.
3: I, on the other hand, am having my moments.
2: You have a hard time working with me? Now
3: and then. Well...
2: (laughs) I'm as alluring as I ever was. Can't say I'm surprised.
3: You're worse than ever, you know. At what, in particular? I'm having a serious conversation. She puts out her cigarette. Sorry. You want to try again? Are you going to act like a spoiled teenager?
2: You have a hard time being around me.
3: No, actually, being around you is easy. But that might be the problem.
2: We go through this every time we work together.
3: I think it's the combination of you and a rehearsal room. All the other times, there's no issue. She checks her phone. Uh, Waiting for something?
2: Michael's supposed to call, waiting on some news. He's doing Merry Wives in the park this summer.
3: (laughs) Ford or Paige? Ford. Corinne? I work very hard, you know. I know. At what? You know.
1: She looks at him, then sighs. Her phone rings and she answers it. Cabot takes a little step to the side so as not to
2: crowd her, but doesn't leave. Hey, honey. We're on a twenty. Yeah. Oh? Well. Okay. Okay. Uh oh, are you all right? Yeah. Uh, I'll see you at the theater tonight. Oh, okay.
1: Love you. Bye. She hangs up. She bursts into uncontrollable tears. Cabot puts his arms around her, and she can barely stand, so he helps to lower them both to the ground. She cries into his chest. Scene three. Michael and Corinne's living room. Michael and Robin enter from the hall with party snacks and hors d'oeuvre-type things and set them down. There's a good chance no one is going to touch any of this, you know.
4: Well, I don't know what else to do.
1: Think Corinne's actually
5: going to make it here first?
4: had her doing a run-through right after our matinee today, so I don't even know what kind of state she'll be in once she gets here. I probably should have rescheduled.
1: He looks around the room restlessly. Do you want a drink?
4: No, better not.
1: Robin sits. Sit the hell down, then. You're making me nervous. Michael sits.
4: What if I don't like her?
5: Then you don't like her. You don't have to like her. There's a
4: good chance I won't. I hate most people. Yeah. I don't have any real time to give her. Sure you do. No. I have shows and auditions and shoots and rehearsal and Corinne and books to read and Puccini and Downton Abbey. I'm booked pretty solid for the rest of my life.
5: Those are all just selfish things. Yeah,
4: I'm not giving those up. This is why I never had children. This is exactly why I never had children. I didn't want to have to give my time to them. I like my time. I would never want to bring a kid into the world and then have to feel guilty about not spending time with them. All I want to do is what I want to do. Right. Selfish. We did it right, Corinne and I. We put ourselves first. We put each other first. And we chose... Not to bring into the world someone who would suffer as a result of that. We were smart. You were also old when you got married. 35 and 40 is not old anymore.
5: Well, clearly 98 Michael did not feel as strongly about the matter as 2016 Michael, because condoms don't seem to have been high on his priority list. What if Corinne had gotten pregnant early on in your marriage? Back when she was, you know, fertile. What would you have done?
4: I don't know. I'd have been pretty pissed, I think, to have to share her.
1: Robin goes over and sits beside him on the couch. She puts an arm around him, and he leans into it. It's just life, you know? You can
5: only do so much to stop it. Anyway, Colonel, will have to share you now.
4: Kern is much better at sharing than I am.
5: As someone who grew up with you, let me just say, anyone is better at sharing than you are. <laughs>
4: what happens in the lifetime movies
5: oh boy where to begin well usually there's a motive the kid's mother has just died and she needs emotional support or the kid is dying and her biological father is the only one who can give her the right bone marrow or something or she just needs to know who she is and where she comes from man and he'll have a wife, who is at first supportive, but soon turns bitter. And they always have children of their own. Confused, angsty children who feel their father is abandoning them forever because he misses a soccer game or two. And the father? He's torn. He can't abandon this child, who is his flesh and blood, damn it. But he doesn't want to hurt his family in the process. Then finally, the child bonds with the wife and the other children, and they take a family portrait in the backyard or in front of the fireplace, and it's all good. Well, either that or somebody
4: dies. <laughs>
3: wow.
5: Yeah, as a whole thing. The best ones are the ones where it's a child out of wedlock, and the wife has to choose between accepting the bastard love child as her own or tearing their whole family apart. Intense. I
4: hate the word wedlock. Makes marriage sound like a prison.
5: Ah, but isn't it?
4: Not if you don't marry a heartless jackass of a philandering investment banker who kicks you to the curb for a taut college freshman.
1: Thank you for that. Corinne enters breezily. Hey! I'm gonna go change. She exits swiftly into the bedroom and shuts the door behind her. Should I make her a drink or something?
4: Nah, she's pretty much off the sauce these days. Why? She's exhausted and overworked. Alcohol doesn't exactly help with that.
5: You keep talking about how tired she is as if that covers all manner of sins.
4: What sins?
5: I'm just saying I remember a time when Corinne was rehearsing a big dance musical by day, playing Cleopatra by night, and shooting a back-alley rape scene on some crime show in the wee hours of the morning. And during that
1: time, I never once even saw her with bags under her eyes. So, Corinne enters
2: from the bedroom. Okay. Oh, that's a hip outfit. My niece picked it out for me via Skype. You asked Madison for fashion advice? I have succeeded at being the cool aunt, so I thought I'd go for the gold with cool stepmom while I was at it. She sits on the couch beside Michael and swings her legs onto his lap.
4: I am completely in love with you.
2: Michael! Why didn't you ever say anything? I had no idea you felt that way.
4: I want to make out with you in the back row of a movie theater while people throw popcorn at us. People still do that? Who knows? We'll do it.
1: "'I'm feeling a little uncomfortable on this couch right now.'" Robin gets up and moves to an adjacent chair. The front door buzzer rings. Corinne swings her legs off Michael's lap. Robin gets up and goes to the buzzer. They wait. Corinne takes Michael's hand and kisses it, then holds it in her lap with both hands. A knock at the door. Robin checks in on them, then opens it. Allison stands in the doorway. She dresses and carries herself like someone much older than Seventeen, but has a child's face and long hair. You must be Allison. If I must be. Corinne and Michael stand. Robin leads her in. I'm Robin.
0: Come on in. Michael. Hi. Uh,
4: My wife, Corinne. Nice to meet you, Allison.
0: I saw you in The Taming of the Shrew. At least I think I did. It could have been an understudy or something. I googled you and saw pictures and remembered it. It was a school trip. We were way up in the balcony. <laughs> I never
2: missed that one. You saw me. Cool. Oh, Michael was actually supposed to be my Petruchio, but he got a recurring role in, what was it,
4: CSI? Yeah, yeah, CSI.
2: I've seen that.
1: Allison smiles widely, then deems herself too enthusiastic and quickly stops smiling. Corinne is totally struck by this and almost gasps. Michael looks at her.
2: You do that. What? You smile, and then unsmile when you're nervous.
0: I'm not nervous. It's okay. Wow. (laughs) Can I sit down?
4: Sure, of course. Just wherever.
1: Allison sits down on the couch. Robin follows and sits beside her. Michael sits in an adjacent chair. Corinne stays standing where she is.
4: Honey, you want to sit?
2: No, thank you. (laughs) Allison, help yourself if you're hungry. I'm okay. Anyone... Need anything, can I get anyone something?
4: No. I think you should sit, see?
1: Corinne exits into the hall. She's mad because I smile like you?
0: She's not mad.
4: So you're you <clears throat> go to school. You're you're in high school.
0: Yeah, senior year.
4: Yeah. You gonna go to college?
0: I mean yeah.
4: N- know what you want to study? Not really. Okay.
0: Robin looks at a totally
1: lost Michael and takes over. What are you interested in?
0: I like science and American history, so I'm not sure. Corinne enters again and sits on the arm of
1: Michael's chair. Sorry.
0: So you guys weren't together when I was born, right? It's not like... You're asking
2: mom- if Michael cheated on me with your mother. No, I did not come into a sad, lonely life until about two years later. Oh, Good. My mom sleeps with a lot of
0: married men, so I didn't know.
2: Well, Michael only sleeps with one married woman, and that is me.
0: So, you guys have been married for 15 years, or? That's right,
4: 15 years.
0: How'd you meet? Don't make her carry the conversation, Michael. No, it's okay. I initiated this
2: whole thing, so...
4: We did a show together called Picnic.
2: Was it one of those love-at-first-sight things? Ambivalence-at-first-sight, more like?
4: (laughs) I'm not really a people person. He barely spoke to me. I ignored her completely. Or thought I was ignoring her completely. She was living with our director at the time, and when I found myself beginning to hate him, I finally realized what was going on. Every time he looked at her, I hated him more. And then I understood that what I felt for her was not, in fact, ambivalence, but attraction. And as a result of that epiphany, I did what anyone would do in such a situation. Grabbed her unawares and kissed her the minute she walked off stage into the wings during our first day of tech.
2: It was not as romantic as it sounds. Yes, it was.
4: She swooned. Her foot popped. She melted in my embrace. I kicked
2: him in the shin and then ran like hell. (laughs) Really? Not really. No. (laughs) Oh, I think if a guy did
0: that to me out of nowhere without ever talking to me, I would have been insanely pissed.
2: Oh, I was. I absolutely was. For about five rage-filled seconds before I kissed him back. (laughs) And that kiss, that kiss could have gone on for days. Everyone backstage watching, staring... I didn't even want to rip his clothes off then. Didn't even think about taking it any further. I just wanted to kiss him for hours.
4: And she did. As soon as we hit end of day, threw me against a brick wall right outside the stage door.
2: What about the director boyfriend? Oh, I think he was in the theater until about 3 a.m. I was kissing Michael in the alley. He still didn't say two words to me.
4: You had no interest in words passing through my lips. You had them otherwise engaged.
2: (laughs) I don't think I got him to put together a complete sentence in my presence until after we'd slept together, (laughs) which was uh, the next day, the day after.
5: Okay, guys, I know you're new to this whole parenting thing, but most kids aren't too keen on hearing stories of their father's love life.
2: No, it's okay. I, I guess the lesson we're attempting to impart here, if any, is that... It's one thing to want to sleep with a person and another thing entirely to want to kiss them forever. That's some true parental guidance right there, okay? Do you still want to kiss him forever? Yes. Allison
1: smiles
0: and then unsmiles. So did you guys tell the director or did you sneak around? We
4: snuck around through the rest of the tech, then came clean before first preview.
2: Which was selfish of us.
4: Corinne moved out and slept at my place for the rest of our five-week run. We broke up on closing night. She got back together with the director, who inexplicably took her back. Then three months later, we were cast in another show together and reattached ourselves once and for all.
0: Wow. Bet he'll never work with either of you again.
4: Actually, he's directing Corinne right now. He is just that much of a sucker.
2: He's a friend. Who has been very good to both of us in spite of the way we treated him.
4: He's a son of a bitch.
1: Corinne is glaring at him. Sorry. He touches her cheek and she smiles. Allison exhales, then stands. I need to use your bathroom. She starts down the hall.
4: It's just down the... I'll
1: find it. Allison exits. Robin frowns at both of them.
4: Oh, what?
1: Could you two be more self-involved?
4: She asked how we met. Yeah, and three hours later, ask her about her. I did. She likes history. She likes history? Yeah, and science. Corinne looks at Robin.
1: I know. What? Allison answers.
0: I think maybe I should go. At least until... I didn't really think this through. I'm... Not sure what I actually want from you, and I think I should go until I can figure it out, because you guys have a whole thing going on, and I think I thought meeting you would make me feel a part of something, but right now I'm just feeling so outside of your something, and I feel worse, so I'm really sorry.
1: Nobody knows what to say. Allison exits. Scene four. Michael and Corinne's living room. Darkness. Corinne is lying on the couch. Michael is on top of her. Much heavy breathing and moaning and groaning and not always in a good way.
4: Ow!
2: What? What? uh, uh. Oh, my neck. Hang on. She
1: adjusts her position a little. Okay. (sighs) Back to it. About ten seconds of smooth sailing and then... Can you just... Yeah. She props herself up a bit so he can reach underneath her.
2: I uh, can't get
4: it. Christ, 16 years, I've been unhooking your bras, and now... Shit,
2: it's in the front. Ah, uh, oh, stop, 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 hang on. Sit, uh, sit up, I'll get it. He moves off her a bit. She reaches for the clasp, but then... Oh, son of What? I just pulled something in my shoulder. Well, turn over.
4: <sighs> turn over, let me take care of no, it.
2: No, 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 uh, I think it's okay now.
1: He leans back down again, putting all his weight on her.
2: Oh, honey, 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 no, wait,
1: le- uh, let's try. She pushes him off her and repositions them both so that he is sitting up and she's straddling him. Okay? Yeah, wh-
4: whatever, just...
1: Back to it. And smooth sailing again for about another ten seconds, and then... Michael.
4: Mm.
2: Honey. Yes? Michael.
4: Relax. <sighs> it's
2: not happening.
4: Well, uh, lean back a little so I can... No,
2: not tonight, honey. Okay. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm just uh, achy and tired, and I have a twingy, tingly feeling in my legs, and...
4: Corinne, it's been over a week.
2: Really? Yeah.
4: Oh. Okay, get off me, woman. You're not making this any easier.
2: She crawls off of
1: him and lies back on the couch.
4: And puts some clothes on.
1: She reaches for her sweater on the floor.
4: If it would help, I could give you a massage...
1: She looks at him
2: and shakes her head. Fine. He gets up. She sits on her elbows. Honey, I know this is what you need to work through things, but I just can't give it to you right now. He starts down the hall.
4: On the bright side, think of how much money we're saving on our hot water bill with all these cold showers.
1: He exits into the hall. Corinne lets her body go limp on the couch, one arm hanging down. Scene five. Michael and Corinne's apartment. Michael and Corinne sit opposite one another at the table having dinner. They each have a wine glass. There is another place set and used between them
2: that is currently vacant.
4: I cannot believe you would do this to me.
2: Then you should expand your mind a little.
4: I'm in agony.
2: Have another glass of wine. Why? Corinne, why? Because I need someone to talk to at the end of the day. I talk to you? (laughs) Besides, hey, baby, want to fuck? No, you don't. Not these
4: days. I have never once said those words to you in that order.
2: Cabot
1: enters from the hallway and sits at the vacant spot at the table.
4: More wine?
3: Thank you.
1: She pours him another glass and ignores Michael's empty glass, which does not go unnoticed by him.
3: Uh, What was I talking about? Your parents' anniversary. Uh, Sixty years. Incredible. Just seems logistically impossible to me. That kind of longevity, sustainability... Mm, sometimes
2: I wonder at the absurdity of the fact that Michael and I still find each other attractive. That we are still invariably turned on by the other one.
4: You wonder
2: at that sometimes? Michael is
1: frowning. She ignores him and talks to Cadet.
2: It. it is a little amazing, if you think about it, to be turned on by the same person for 16 years. <laughs> let alone 60, <gasps> to be turned on by the same body, a body you have committed to memory. It's, it's amazing that you can still be excited about it, fantasize about it, because I do. I, you know, downtime at work, sitting on the subway. Michael looks good in a pair of jeans, and I won't pretend the image doesn't preoccupy me on
1: occasion. Michael is pleased with this. Cabot is now frowning. It's unclear whether Corinne is drunk or pretending to be. Well. He pours himself some more wine.
2: I'm just saying. And he still watches me dress and undress with rapt attention. I do
4: not. Honey,
2: it's called peripheral vision. I can see you. Fine. Nothing sexual about it for me. Just changing in and out of the day's clothing. Chattering away about some mindless nothing. And more often than not, he's just sitting there, staring. Watching me walk from the closet to the dresser. All
4: scantily clad. And back
2: again. And why? How? What sorcery is it that causes him to still derive such pleasure from a sight he knows so well he could see it on the back of his eyelids?
4: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is amazing. She's right, though. I could watch her dress and undress all day long. She does it so innocently, so casually.
2: That's how people get dressed, Michael. Casually, normally. They do it twice a day, every day.
4: (laughs) It's very sexy.
1: Cabot finishes what's left in his glass and pours himself more. Corinne studies Cabot. This makes Michael frown again. Why did you
2: never have children? What?
1: Michael becomes very wary of where this might be headed.
2: Just been stuck on the topic lately. I suppose it bears acknowledgement that some people associate children with love. A next step, if you would, because apparently there are steps, or so we are told. Love, marriage, children,
4: death. I think there might be a few steps between children and death. Who's to say? Divorce, maybe?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, why didn't you? Ever.
2: Because we were already happy. Now, okay, children make some people happy. I'll concede that. That's fine and good for them. Children wouldn't make us happy. We make each other happy. There's nothing children could give us that we want, really. From my career, I get fulfillment and success and challenges and magic. And from my marriage, I get companionship and laughter and partnership and sex. All the food groups, so to speak. I'm an extremely satisfied woman. Mm,
4: That was nice.
2: Thanks. Cabot, you used to occasionally throw out the idea of having children as a wild and exotic possibility. (laughs) A cool thing we could do. We could be cool, hip, unmarried, working parents. (laughs) I always laughed as if you were joking. (laughs) Always. I'd laugh it off and walk away. To this day, I have no idea to what degree you are actually serious. In the
3: 16 years
2: since I left you, you have not had children. So, not especially serious, I guess.
3: Corinne, come on now. Unless he
4: was just serious about having children with you. That's a feeling I can understand.
2: How so?
1: Suddenly, Cabot ceases to exist for them.
4: Well, there's a difference between wanting to have children generally and wanting to have children with someone. Wanting to create a life with a specific person. I have experienced the sentiments attached to that notion. Oh, you have experienced the sentiments attached to that notion. (laughs) To that impulse, yes. I have had the occasional moment of feeling less thinking that a child that was both yours and mine would be a child worth knowing. A child I might like to see. Those things I have felt without actually wanting to have a child or be a parent. Oh, don't let it give you pause.
2: It gives me pause.
4: I would like to see you with a child. To watch you hold a child, one that was ours. To have that child passed from your arms to mine. To watch you watch that child sleep. I'd like to know what it would look like. To see all the ways in which it would look like you, would mimic you. I have vaguely wondered what it might feel like to have gotten you pregnant. And I have wondered what kind of mother you would be. But I have never wanted to be a parent. And I would not want to share you. Honey?
1: She holds up a hand and shakes her head. He turns away again. Then Corinne looks directly at Cabot and prepares herself to speak again.
2: There is an extraordinary aspect of love, a very maddening and infuriating and confounding aspect of love, a nuance, some might say. There may be a term for it, but if there is, I'm not aware of it. It's the moment when, at some unsuspected point in knowing each other so well, of reading each other's minds and finishing each other's sentences, of feeling their feelings and even breathing with them, when you disconnect just for a second. When your significant other surprises you or scares you or hurts you just for a second, you think, who is this person? And then you know them again. And this is the tricky thing about attaching yourself to another person, about making yourself a half so that their half can make you whole again. You were whole before them, you know? You were always whole before you met them, but you had to make room. You had to rearrange pieces of yourself and play Tetris with all the parts of who you are so that they could fit too. And if for a second, even though it is only a second, you disconnect from them, it is a jolt unlike anything else. A brief reminder that you were whole, once, all by yourself, and could you be
1: again? She looks over at Michael, who is looking at her, disquieted. No. She looks back at Cabot, but doesn't
2: seem to really be talking to him. The second passes, all seconds pass. But this one in particular, its passing, is noted. Extraordinary.
1: There is a knock on the door. Cabot all but leaps out of the chair and goes to answer it while Corinne and Michael are still very much paralyzed by themselves. Allison is at the door. They look over.
0: There was someone coming out just as I went to ring the buzzer and. Hi. Hi, I'm Allison.
3: Cabot. Allison, how do you know these two?
0: Well, (laughs) uh, Michael's my uh, kind of father.
1: Cabot stares at her in surprise, then looks to both Michael and Corinne, who are avoiding his gaze.
3: Your kind of father?
0: Sort of a recent development.
2: Uh, Michael met Allison's mother uh, through Robin, actually, a few years before he and I met. We learned about her not too long ago.
3: the phone call.
2: Corinne stiffens.
3: What? That phone call you got. What phone call?
2: Uh, Cabot was just with me on that rehearsal break when you called to tell me the DNA was a match. Michael is distracted by Allison's presence by her return. Oh. Okay. I didn't tell him anything about the call. He just remembers how surprised I was. Corinne? Corinne looks sternly at Cabot, very
1: clearly telling him to change the subject. But Cabot is flummoxed. He looks at Michael.
3: She was in convulsions. She was weeping so hard she could barely breathe. It was 25 minutes before I even managed to get her back into the room on her own two feet.
1: Michael looks over at Corinne, unable to mask his amazement. Allison is completely uncomfortable and quietly devastated. She looks at no one.
3: I'll leave you. Thanks for dinner.
1: He exits. Corinne notices Allison. Allison? She swiftly exits with her head down. Michael looks at Corinne. Scene six. Michael and Corinne's living room. Corinne sits on the couch in her pajamas with her glasses on. There's a script in her lap and a cup of tea on the coffee table. Michael enters also in his pajamas. Morning. She keeps her eyes on her script. He lives. It's late. You are more exhausted than you thought, huh? Evidently. He walks over behind the couch and kisses somewhere between her neck and shoulder. She smiles. You have coffee? It's tea,
2: but I made a pot of coffee for
4: you. My angel.
1: He trudges back into the hall towards the kitchen. She is muttering lines from line in winter to herself like a crazy person.
4: How long have you been up?
2: Ages. I have to work on these line notes. I hate being that asshole in the room constantly calling line, but I can't seem to make any of these stick. Michael enters
1: again, cup of coffee in hand.
4: You know why. I know
2: why. Thank you. Just means I have to work
1: harder. He stands nearby and watches her, and she ignores him. He keeps watching her with a smile, and she keeps ignoring him.
4: What? It's unfair for you to look so beautiful this early in the morning. It's after eleven.
1: He keeps smiling at her. She finally gives in and smiles back at him.
4: Can you take a break?
1: No. She turns back to her script again. He sits down in an adjacent chair.
4: I want to talk about what Cabot said last night.
1: Well, I don't. See. She looks up finally, but
2: not at him. I cried. So what? I found out my husband has a child that is his and not mine. What do you expect?
4: I expect you to tell me about it when you break down into convulsions in the middle of a rehearsal for 25 minutes. How would that have helped? I had no idea you were so upset. You held my hand and got fashion advice from our 14-year-old niece and smiled and listened to me tell you everything I was feeling Listen to me describe what I remembered about every woman I slept with in the mid-90s so I could place Suzanne in my mind. And you stayed awake with me every night until I finally managed to turn my brain off and fall asleep. You made me tea and even brought me a grilled cheese sandwich once. You did all that.
2: I did all that.
4: You would have made a great mother.
1: There are tears in her eyes, but she's very, very pissed.
2: Oh, fuck off, Michael. It's true. Don't you Fucking do that. Don't get sentimental and make this about something it's not. I regret nothing.
4: We should have had a child together.
1: Why? He can put together no response coherent enough in the moment.
2: So surprising and powerful is his epiphany. I did all those things. Those things you just mentioned, I did them because I love you. Because you are the most important and valued thing in my life. And I would give you everything that I have if it would make you happy. I would have made a terrible mother. Becoming parents would have either ruined our marriage or ruined our child. And we have always known that. We are so damn lucky that we have always known that.
4: I wish I could look at Allison and see you. See your nose, your chin. I want to see her left eye twitch the way yours does when you're confused.
2: Just look at me, Michael. You don't need to see me and her, for God's sake. You have me.
1: He lurches forward and kisses her. It's a frenzy. They fall back on the couch, and this time, it's going to happen. Blackout, end of Act
0: One. This has been a production of Play for Keeps. Thank you for joining us.